Okay, we're, um, of course, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, and we are uh, going to read. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to read through uh, verse for 14, because verse 14 is basically where we're going to land and, and focus tonight. And there's a lot to focus on there. So let's, let's go ahead and read this, that we should be, well, let me start in verse 11. It seems to be a more complete thought in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Um, so in the last session, we were talking about the distinction that Paul makes between here the Jew and the Gentile in, in these two verses uh, when he speaks of those who first trusted in Christ, of course, he's speaking of the Jews uh, who had a hope. The word trusted there means who had a, 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 a hope that was before, a hope that was before um, the coming of the thing hoped for. And that was an expectation God had given throughout the testimony to these people. And he's telling them, or as a, as a Jew who came into Christ and is seeing Christ, he says, we have that which we trusted him for, that which we hoped for. Uh, we have the inheritance that he had promised. And so then he goes into verse 13, and he points to the Jew Gentile believers now, and he says, you also, after you've heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Same thing Galatians talks about. The, we have received the spirit of promise, the promise of the spirit through faith, um, that the blessing of Abraham came on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, that we would receive in that coming of the blessing, we would receive the promise of the spirit uh, through faith. So he's saying the same thing there. And we, we talked about that the last, the word here for sealed is a word that means a stamp that is impressed upon something to mark the genuineness of the thing, that it is the genuine article, that it is authentic and beyond doubt, that this is the real thing. And again, that's because he's attempting to tell the Jew, the Gentile that what they have is not a secondary or afterthought salvation. What they have in Christ is the same thing the Jews have in Christ. And that is that in him, they have received the full inheritance, the full blessing. And Paul, throughout these first verses of chapter one, he's used uh, terminology that refers us back to the testimony and shows us all the things that God 
had promised, a redemption, a forgiveness, and all of the things that he had promised to his people in the coming of the Messiah, and we can go through verses that, that depict those things, and we have throughout these uh, sessions, but he's pointing to those things and showing them that the Jew and the Gentile do not have separate salvations. There's not a distinction between it. We have the same thing, that in him we have the genuine, authentic salvation that God promised in Christ. And so keep that in mind as we go into verse 14, because it's important. Most people jump down, and when they leave verse 13, all of a sudden in the wording of verse 14 in the King James, they will get into the future, and they will begin to think about things yet to be, things that God is still yet to do. And because there's a couple of words here that we need to concentrate on tonight and, and look at it, and then we're going to go to the Old Testament to one of the prophets and see this played out in a, in a beautiful picture that takes up three different, three chapters of, it's in Jeremiah, three chapters of Jeremiah that beautifully depicts what he's speaking of here in Ephesians and shows the absoluteness of, of what God has wrought, the redemption that God has uh, brought to us in, in, in Christ. But let's read this again, verse 14, that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Now, when most people read that word, they read the word earnest, and all of a sudden, the word earnest to them, and there's translations that will say it, there's even word studies that will say it, and they will look at it as if it's a financial transaction and you give earnest money, and the earnest money says, I'll give you a little bit now, and you'll get the rest in installments or get the rest later. But the word earnest here is actually, it actually means the guarantee of the thing. Not that it's a down payment so that the future is, you know, the future installments are going to come, but the earnest of the inheritance means that it is the guarantee of the thing that was promised, the guarantee of the inheritance, meaning that the spirit of God dwelling in us guarantees for us the inheritance. He's already said, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. And he's going to use that word again throughout, but he's not speaking now, okay, we've received an inheritance, but he's just a down payment for the inheritance that's coming. That doesn't even make sense. So the spirit of God's present guarantees for us the absoluteness of the whole. And that's what, that's what the earnest here is talking about. He is the guarantee of the blessing that was promised by God. His very presence guarantees his presence in us guarantees the full and the whole of the blessing. 
We are not waiting on installments. That's how most Christians live. Most Christians believe and have a doctrine or a religion that believes that what we have now is merely a down payment, a small portion, and God in installments and in piecemeals gives us until one day we get the whole thing. Paul is not saying that here. And we're going to see that as we go into Jeremiah and see that uh, played out in these uh, this these wonderful pictures that he gives. Um, and we could see that because here's, here's the actual, another place in Paul's letters where he talks about this ceiling, this, this, this ceiling, he says, we have been sealed. He, he'll say this also in second Corinthians chapter one. Um, and we're going to read verse 18 through 22. He says this, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yes and no. But in him, that's Christ, in Christ was yes. For all the promises, that's the promise of the inheritance, that's the promise of redemption, that's the promise that Paul is saying we have here in Ephesians 1. All of the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. That's an important, you know, contextualization of these promises. Where are they yes and amen? He says it twice. In him, they're yes, and in him, they're amen. Unto, listen to these words unto the glory of God by us. Does that sound familiar to what we've just read in Ephesians 1? That which is the earnest of our inheritance or to the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. It's the same thing, unto the glory of God by us. Now, verse 21 of uh, 2 Corinthians 1, now he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest or the guarantee of the Spirit in our hearts. And again, these verses as seen together gives us a glimpse of the absoluteness of it all. God, which establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us, who has sealed us and given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. But what does that mean for us? What does that, what does that ensure for us? The fact that we are established of God, that we are sealed of God and given the guarantee of the spirit in our hearts. What does that mean for us? That what is preached to us cannot be yes and no that it can't be a little here and not all of it. Yes, some, no, not all, right? There's that concept in theology of a yet, not yet. And they'll say, this is so, but not yet this. And that's most Christian theology. This is absolutely true. This is now present, but not this yet. And he says, what we preach to you, 
the gospel that is preached among us can't be yes and no. Why? Because all of God's promises are in him, yes, and in him, amen. That's why this sealing of us, this giving us the guarantee of the Spirit ensures for us that nothing of our salvation is yes and no. It is all yes and amen. So that he, it would be to the praise of his glory, that we would be to the praise of his glory, meaning that he has accomplished his intent in us to the praise of his glory that he would be glorified in the fact that he has accomplished in his son and now bestowed that accomplishment to the souls of those who have believed, whether they be Jew or Greek. And it is not yes and no. Raven, I have a little bit of a comment or a question. Okay. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about because I don't come in contact with anybody who says, well, maybe I have, I don't know where you know, we have this, but we don't have that. Uh-huh. Um, but when we are in Christ, we have it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's given us himself. He's given us everything. Um, but we don't see it all right now. I mean, right. a lot of it has to be revealed as we go along in life. All of it, yes. And But that's different from what you're saying, I think, right? That's different from what I'm saying, yes. Okay. Because there are those who have dispensationalized our salvation and say we have somewhat of it now, and the rest of it comes later. Okay. There are, there are those who believe that heaven is a futuristic idea instead of being in heavenly places in Christ. Uh-huh. That they think us being in Christ is merely a metaphor. It's not an actuality. Okay. And that's what Paul is addressing. He is addressing the fact that what we have is not a some now, uh, the rest later. Okay. Because okay? that's the concept that governs 90% of Christianity. I'm glad you've never heard that, but that's all I ever have heard in my life. Yeah. Uh, is that, you know, the things that God has accomplished in Christ because they seem so good to be true or too good to be true because we look at the earthen vessel and we say there's no possible way that could be true now. And most people say, of course, it's not true in absoluteness. It is somewhat true now. He keeps us. He holds us. But now the reality of that's coming. There'll be a day where we have perfection. There'll be a day where you know, these bodies don't die. There'll be a day where we walk on streets, you know, and all of that stuff. That's what I mean. It's a yet, not yet. Anything that we hold to and hope for beyond his indwelling presence is that it is a hope for something that is not yet. And again, most, a lot of people live with that hope and a lot of people die with that hope instead of enjoying the absoluteness of a present life and a present reality that Christ has made unto us. Well, I do understand that, but I, I guess I, in my mind, I hold to two things. I guess I hold to two things and maybe Mm -hmm. that's um, unbalanced, but yes, we live in Christ and he lives in us and we have all things and you would say that we live in the heavenlies, mm-hmm. but 
but yet there is something called heaven, isn't there? When we pass from this life to whatever is beyond, which is Christ, mm-hmm. in a different way. I mean, there's no sin and there's no, you know, we're free from the bondage of this body. And yeah. that, I think, is what people call heaven do, and kind of like do, another thing they're looking for. But do we actually change location or do we actually change from one thing to another thing? Is it is it that we do not have all of that now and all that comes after we're dead? No, that's not the case. Even, even in the heaven that is, is depicted in revelation is not that it is. I mean, I talked about it this morning on the Sunday session. It is a, it is a depiction of a, of a lamb who was slain on a throne that sits and is the light of that city and is the temple of that city. And God lights it with his own glory. Well, that's Christ in you, the glory of God. And you know, that's what we're seeing there. This is a city and a, and a creation where heaven and earth has passed away. A new heaven and earth has come. The old things are passed away. It says it there in revelation. It's the same thing as second Corinthians where old things have passed away and the new has come. So when he's declaring heaven in revelation, he's not declaring a separate place from where we are. He's given a vivid detail of, of that place in a picture and showing it to be the fulfillment of you are come to Mount Zion. You have come to a new Jerusalem. We are the city of God. Uh, again, either those statements are absolutely true or they're just metaphorically true and are not true until we get there or we go to some other place or we go to some other you know, reality. And that's what I'm saying. If what is declared to be so in Christ is not the full measure of the thing, then I don't think we understand the full measure of the thing. It has to be who Christ is. It, it's not something separate. It's not another place. So, I mean, when I pass from this body, I'm not going to change location from where I presently am. I think because the restraints and the constraints of this natural mind and natural body are gone, I will better and clearly see where I am. I'll see the reality that's always been. Now, that's see. really interesting. I'm going to have to ponder those things because yeah, that's I'll really uh, something I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. yeah, I'll see heaven for what it truly is where my natural mind is, in, is, is prohibited me from comprehending it because again we think naturally upon spiritual matters god does it although natural pictures are used it's depicting a very spiritual truth um it's it's depicting the true nature of a new creation um i mean if you read just the description of heaven there's no temple in it god's the temple of it there's no building there. God's the building of it. You know, there's no natural light or, or God lights it up. You know, it's like the city is God. It's filled with God. It's just all God. And that's second Corinthians. Our salvation is old things are passed away. All things are new. Just what heaven is depicted as in revelation. 
and all things are of God. That's, that's heaven. Uh, that's being found in Christ in heavenly places. It's not a, you know, Paul doesn't say something lesser than that. That's what it is. Yeah. Being in Christ is that. So when it's scripture says we're absent from the body, but present with the Lord. Yes. So what, that's kind of a picture of what you're saying, I think, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. abs- absent from this body is present with the Lord. You know why? Because the thing that's in the body is always present with the Lord. Yeah. The body, the body dying doesn't mean anything. We're still present with the Lord, whether in or out of the body, but to be absent from the body doesn't mean we've been lost. And that's the whole concept there. I mean, we haven't lost them. They are with the Lord. They are present with the Lord. If they have passed from this body, you know, so that's the, all right. These are interesting Interesting yeah. uh, conversation. It's interesting. Hey, don't think, don't think I have not fought these things for a long time myself. I mean, these are, these are ideas that, well, I mean, th- the reality of salvation is spirit and truth. The reality of who Christ is a spirit. It is not something, you know, even, even the depiction of heaven itself falls very short of what heaven truly is, you know, what he's doing is utilizing language of, if you look at the city, I mean, I don't mean to get off on this and stay, but if you look at the city and this is a study you can do, and this is again, as I said this morning on Sunday, the whole thing, even heaven as depicted in by John in revelation or by God to John in revelation was seeing this whole thing descending out of God. And this is the Lord, this is God, the the lamb's wife. This is that which he has married. This is the marriage supper of the lamb that we're seeing here. Uh, Because there's a wedding taken. There's a bride given to her husband. And that bride is glorified with his very light and being. But if you see it, it's speaking of, how the new covenant fulfills everything of the old covenant. And uh, so, you know, he'll, he'll use a city that is four square, right? Yeah. Okay. So four square city, where else in scripture do you find something that's four square that God's light has to fill it and be the only light that's in that place? Where do you see that? And in the holy of holies. Okay. And what does Hebrews call the holy of holies? I that don't. is a testimony of Hebrews calls it heaven itself. Right. That, that the holy of holies was a depiction of heaven itself. So when he in revelation begins to describe heaven itself, he calls it the four square city. That is like a, like a cube, Well, that's the Holy of Holies. Why? Cause the lamb that was slain depicting the Holy, the high priest who goes in there with the blood and the throne of God is there. The Ark of the covenant, the throne of God's in that Holy of Holies and God himself has to light that place for there to be any light in it. 
That's heaven. That's what he's depicting in Revelation. So I've he's showing that before. That's interesting. Yeah. So he's showing that heaven itself, the Holy of Holies, is 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 fulfilled in our being in Christ in an entire new creation. This is heaven itself. Amen. This is where the marriage has taken place between the lamb and his bride. And it's filled with him and there's nothing else. There's no temple. There's no need of natural light. There's no need of seasons and ceremonies. There is only him. And it says in that city, they will serve him and they will see his face and all the Kings of the earth that are saved will come to that city and give, bring their glory to it. You know, bring, bring all that they think they have their riches. They'll bring it to it and say, Hey, I, this is nothing compared to your glory. Just like the queen of Sheba did yeah. to Solomon. So that's the whole picture. He's just showing a, that heaven is the fulfillment of all those pictures that were given to us in the, in the old covenant. Cause I mean, we have, <laughs> we have, we have these people who try to take the measurements of a city. You go to Ezekiel and see the same thing described of this city that is measured by yeah. a man who measures it. Yeah. And I've, I've read commentaries that just tried to think about how big that city would actually be. And they're trying to say, well, my God, it wouldn't, I mean, none of these places on earth could fit that city. Right. That's what it's saying. That's what it's telling you. The earth and nothing of the earth can contain that because it is a spiritual city. It is a, a spiritual state of being in the land and being found in him. And so, I mean, there's a lot in it and that's, that's true. Um, but those are just pieces of the thing he pulls in the parts he pulls in to show this is what heaven is. And again, the four square city is nothing more than the Holy of Holies where no natural light is there. Only yeah. God glory, God's glory fills it. So, yeah. and that's why a lamb slain is sitting on the throne and not just a, not just a king. You have a lamb. The blood of the lamb has now entered into the Holy of Holies and uh, finished the work. So well, I'm telling you, we, we have, it, it blows my mind to think about that all. I'm telling you, really, yeah. it yeah. just, I can't and get my mind around it. And you just see how much greater is that, you know, and knowing that that's not something I have to wait on. That's a reality I now have. That's a reality that Christ in me now gives to this soul. This soul, me as a, as a believer, I now walk in the new Jerusalem. I am now in the reality of a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth hmm. um, that is ruled by the lamb and governed by him. Yeah. So, yeah, we may have to look at that more. Wouldn't you? In Wouldn't depth. you say, Raven, that Christ is that heavenly? I'm sorry? For we are blessed. Wouldn't you say that Christ is the heavenly realm? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because in fact, we're, um, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly in Christ. Yeah. So one is the is the explanation of the other. Yeah. 
Yeah. In heaven is described by in Christ. Yeah. yeah. In heaven, in Christ, not two things. It's the description of one is a description of the other. So that's, yeah. yeah, that's what he said. In fact, if you look at heaven again, as the Holy of Holies, if you go to the high priest, which is what John sees at the very beginning of revelation, again, it's a complete picture. He sees a man standing in the midst of the candlesticks. It's a high priest standing there with a sash of gold across him. And he sees this man, he sees the tabernacle cause his feet are brass, just like the brass altar. And the, that's out there at the, at the beginning and the hair like wool and all of that. And that, I mean, it's just a beautiful picture. The whole thing It's him as the, as the tabernacle embodied. And he sees that one in the midst of those candlesticks. So when you look at the, at the, uh, high priest, you actually see a man in the garments. Cause I did this a long time ago and went through each part of the garments of the high priest and the encampment of Israel and how the whole encampment of Israel is summarized in the garments of the high priest and shows that even the curtains and the veil and all of that is depicted in the garments of beauty and glory of the high priest. In fact, what God did there is take the whole of that tabernacle and confine the reality of it in a man. And the whole of that encampment around that tabernacle, he puts it all on the breastplate of that man. So all of them are consumed in one man. So yeah, the Holy of Holies is a man. It is defined in one. It is defined in him. And, you know, but the picture that, that John in revelation is showing is the, the blood of the lamb that comes into the Holy of Holies and secures a salvation for his people. And it's on the throne, which is the Holy of Holies and the, and the, uh, I mean, the Ark of the Covenant where the cherubim are on top of it. That's called the throne of God. There's a lamb upon that throne. The blood is sprinkled on that, on that throne and God's glory lights it up and fills it. And in that place, they are redeemed. They are atoned for, they are, um, saved. If you said that. So that's the whole picture of this. It's not just a, it's not a futuristic thing. It's, it's John. Again, this man has been put on an Island because he's preaching the gospel. And so he's having to get this letter to the churches as a man who is out to die on a deserted Island. So what does he do? He uses these pictures. He uses these these, this imagery, he's not like Paul would say, you know, this and this, you know, like, you know, because if he did that, you know what, that letter would have never made it out. So he did it in depiction and imagery like that, but he takes the imagery of the testimony and he pulls it all together. And he's still declaring the same gospel in that letter as Paul is in any of his, you know, and uh, most people don't see that because we've been programmed <laughs> to think about that letter in a totally separate way than the gospel. But it is, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ.
It is showing Christ to be all sufficient, all supreme, and the reality of a new creation that has overcome the enemy of, you know, I'm, I don't want to preach the whole of Revelation, but, you know, when he's, he's talking about Babylon and Egypt and all of these things that's coming against the church, right? Okay. Where was that? What does he even say there? Egypt and Babylon, where our Lord was crucified. That's what John says. Where was that? Egypt and Babylon. That's what he says. He uses those two cities and says where our Lord was crucified. You know why? Because he is showing that the Jerusalem that is below that killed Christ and is persecuting the church is the same as Egypt and Babylon in the old covenant. And God has destroyed it by the blood of the lamb, just like he did Egypt. Jesus wasn't crucified in Egypt or Babylon. It was crucified in Jerusalem. He is showing Jerusalem to be that city, that evil city, the whore of Babylon. That's what he's showing. He's showing Jerusalem that fought the church, that persecuted the church, and that killed Christ, you know, to be that. And that's the whole imagery of it. Again, he's using imagery to do that. Same thing Paul does. He's just doing it in a different way. But, you know, it's, it's just a, it's an, it's a tremendous letter that most people shy away from, but it's presenting the same gospel that any other letter does. It would be an interesting study for you to do for us. Yeah. Yeah. We will, <laughs> I, we will. It's beyond, you know, I don't, I can't wrap my head around the, some of the things that you're saying. Yeah, no. And it's I mean, something that's, God's going to have to reveal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He does. And that's, you know, that's why he's writing to seven churches and that's not future churches. Like it's been preached. He's actually writing to seven churches that are present at that time. Right. Because he's declaring to them something that the lamb has accomplished. And basically just like the Hebrew letter, he's saying, stand fast in the assurance of this finished work. Do not allow them to, you know, the persecutions and things that's coming upon you. Do not allow these things to make you go away from him. Stand fast here. And that's why he talks about the righteous who have overcome by the blood of the lamb, the righteous who are now clothed with white garments, which is the righteousness of the saints. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful letter. So, but it's, it's been shrouded with a lot of misunderstanding. Um, I guess so. And it's not futuristic. It's not, it's not at all futuristic. If anything, it looks, yeah, if anything, it yeah. looks kind of yeah. back to other things to, you know, but we, we'll talk about it later. I think that'd be a good study. Um, but anyway, him being the earnest of our inheritance, we're talking about that. Let me get to that. Um, so that we won't stay on that very long, but he is the guarantee, not just the down payment. And that's where we were. The guarantee of the whole is the presence of the spirit who has sealed us. And then there's a word here until the redemption of the purchased possession. And the word until there has caused generations of people 
to make this a futuristic statement. And they'll say, well, that means he's just a down payment until this thing happens in reality. But the word until there is better translated, and you can go to word studies and many of them will say it, better translate not until, but unto, meaning it is the means to this conclusion. It is the means to this end being met and this, this uh, goal being completed. And I've, I've got, I've got commentaries here that talk about it. Uh, let's see unto the full redemption that was promised. Um, yeah, better, better translated and better understood by unto not until because unto the actual word there means the reaching of a goal, meaning that the spirit of Christ being in us as the guarantee of our inheritance, Christ in us was actually the means by which this thing is accomplished. What is that? The redemption of the purchased possession. It was all to that end. It was all toward that goal. And that's a goal he's already talked about. He says, what we have redemption in whom we have the redemption. He's already said that in, in verse seven, he's not talking about another redemption. Okay. So the spirit of God in us guarantees the inheritance unto all of that was unto the redemption of the purchase possession, a redemption that we now have in Christ. Now, since we, since we spent some time on that, uh, the revelation thing, um, I just want to jump directly here. And I think this will give us all we need. I'm not going to read all three chapters of Jeremiah, but I would encourage you to do it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 30 through chapter 33. Um, well, that's, that's four chapters in, um, 30 through 33. Um, I would say, read those. I'm going to read some highlighted parts of it, and we're going to point out some things that this is actually a description of what Paul is saying that we have and that God's work in Christ was unto. Um, let me get to that part here. Yeah, I've got so many other things I wanted to point out, but okay. Uh, so in Jeremiah 30, I'm going to start. Uh, yeah, I want to go a little. I had some notes in 32, but I want to start in verse in chapter 30 and just look at a few places that I've underlined here. <clears throat> Jeremiah 30, verse uh, 2, or let's just start in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, <laughs> Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again or reverse the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And then 
I don't want to read all of these uh, verses, but uh, verse eight, it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will break his yoke from off thy neck and I will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord, their God and David, their King. Now in this depiction of David, he's pointing toward the son of David, Christ, who will sit upon the throne of David. And they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet and none shall make him afraid. Um, and then he begins to talk about the wounds and the bruises that are seen to be incurable, but he begins to declare to them that, you know, they cry in their afflictions and he will bring healing to them. He will restore verse 17 health unto thee. I will heal thee of thy wounds because they called thee an outcast saying, this is Zion whom no man seeks after. Thus saith the Lord, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. And the city shall be builded upon her own heap and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry. And I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Verse 22, and ye shall be my God and I will be my people and I will be your God. Now, verse 24, the fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it. And until he have performed the intents of his heart in the latter days, ye shall consider it. Now in verse 31, we know that in verse 31, this is when he begins to declare the reality of the new covenant, right? This is the promise of the coming of the new covenant. I'm not going to. Yeah. Chapter 31 of Jeremiah. And um, so I'm going to skip over a few things and then we're going to look, look at that. Verse two of Jeremiah 31. The people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness. Even Israel, when I, when I went to cause him to rest. And the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Um, and I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria, and the planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchers upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. For thus saith the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, Publish, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. I'm reading all this because these are the promises God made 
to save his people. How does he do it? Okay, we're going to look at the declaration of it, and then we're going to go to chapter 32 and see it in a picture that God paints using Jeremiah. Um, Verse 10 of chapter 31, hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, declare it in the isles afar off, and say, he that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd, their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. And I I can continue to read. I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness. My people shall be satisfied with my goodness. But how does this happen? We could read the whole chapter, but this instead of taking up four hours with this, um, <laughs> go here, verse 29 of chapter 31. This is how this is going to happen. In those days, they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Verse 31, for behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, Here's, here's, this is the part where all of this happens. Everything he's been saying, what they were rejoicing in and the water, the soul will be like a watered garden. All of this in his, in their, his reversal of their captivity, bringing them to liberty. This is how it happens. I will put my law in their inward parts and I will write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And then the next verses of this chapter is saying that if my ordinances with day and night, meaning that the sun's going to come up, and it's going to go down. Sun's going to come up and it's going to go down. If that covenant that I've made with day and night changes, that means my covenant with them, with my people have changed. Now that's a beautiful statement. Meaning if the sun stops coming up and going down and coming up and going down, then you know, my promise to my people has ended. I'm no longer in covenant with them. And we know that's not going to happen. We know that's showing it is a forever covenant, everlasting love. He's just talked about again, 
talking about the new covenant. So then we go into chapter 32. This is not saying something different than what we just read as far as the coming of the new covenant. This is a picture that God gives of it. And I want you to see, because what I'm trying to show us is the meaning of this unto the redemption of the purchased possession. Okay. We're talking about a people who have been purchased, who are his possession. God has done all of this to redeem a people that he has purchased himself. Paul says, repurchased with his own blood. But I want to show you a picture of this because this comes in the new covenant in our hearts. This is how this redemption takes place. This is how we understand that we are his purchased possession because of this covenant that is now in our hearts. Here's a picture of it. So what happens is Jeremiah is put in prison here. This is chapter 32, because the Babylonian army comes in, besieges Jerusalem. This is verse two. And Jeremiah, the prophet is shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. Now, I want you to see this because this is a picture just like with Joshua in prison. It's a picture of Christ in death. It's in his death, his burial, huh? No, Josh. Uh, yeah. You remember he's in prison okay. and he's, you know, in the pit and then he's in prison. Okay. So that's the same picture because in that picture you have a, you know, Christ in his death and his burial resurrection. And he comes forth and, you know, he, he has the blessing for his family to come and receive, you know, and, and that's the same picture here. Um, so here's Jeremiah in prison. And uh, Zedekiah, king, the verse three of Judah has shut him up saying, wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, thus saith the Lord, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and ye shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him mouth to mouth and his eyes shall behold his eyes and he shall be. Uh, he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord, though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not prosper. Now verse six. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle shall come unto thee. This is God speaking to Jeremiah, that Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, shall come unto you, saying, Buy thee my field, that is an Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Now, these are things we have to consider carefully. Verse 8. So what God said is going to happen comes to pass. Hanamiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, buy my field. And what he's doing, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, they're taking over this, this place. So he comes to him and he says, now buy this field because you're the only one who has the right to redeem it. You are my kinsman. 
you have the right to redeem this field. That kind of reminds you of Ruth, right? By my field, I pray thee, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. I love that. Julie and I were talking about that today. This is all God's doing, and he does it for himself. We partake of it, but it is all God doing what he planned and purposed for himself. The right of inheritance is thine. The redemption is thine for, so buy it for thyself. And so I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Verse nine. So I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence <laughs> and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. So there were two copies of this proof of purchase, the evidence of the purchase are the evidence of the redemption of this land. There's two of them. There's one that's called a sealed one, and there's one that's called an open. If you'll read Revelation, you see a book that is sealed on the inside and the outside. And this is a, a picture of that as well. Yeah. So, verse 12. So I gave, and I love, <coughs> excuse me, I, I love the way King, the King James um, basically translates, uh, this word, cause we'll get into the definition of these words in a second. He is translated the evidence of the purchase. I love that. I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, Messiah in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses that I subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase or the redemption, which both, which is sealed and the evidence which is open, and look at this, put them in an earthen vessel, and they that they may continue many days. Now, we'll stop there for a second. So here's this whole picture, and we're going to see this is not a different picture than what we read as far as God writing his covenant in, in our hearts, putting it in us, writing it and subscribing it in our hearts. It's the same picture. Okay. So when we read, there's, there's some beautiful things here and I, I don't have time to, to stay on them forever, but there's a couple of things. When we were reading in verse six through 10 of Jeremiah 32, there's a couple of names and I don't do much with names. 
You know, I had that done to death when I was in certain aspects of Christian, the Christian church. So I don't do that a whole lot, but I think this is beautiful. Hanamiel, who is basically his cousin, because Shalom is his uncle. Hanamiel, the son of Shalom. Hanamiel, that word means God is gracious or God is full of grace. That's the one who comes to him and says, buy this piece of property because you have right. Okay. The Shalom, who is the uncle of Jeremiah, that word actually means recompense and reward. In Ruth chapter two, we have another picture of a kinsman redeemer who has the right to redeem, right? And this is the actual terms that are used in that in that place where in chapter two of Ruth, she comes to him and Boaz answered and said to her, it hath fully been showed me all that you have done unto my mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, unto thy mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how thou hast left the father and thy mother and the land of your nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not, the Lord will recompense thy work and a full reward will be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. What was the recompense and what was the reward? Her relationship with Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. That's the picture we're getting here, but we're getting it in names, right? So I just thought that was a, a, a cool, just a, a wonderful picture. But here's the beautiful picture. Here's the beautiful thing that he's saying. The word or, or this idea of the, I subscribe, this is verse 10, I subscribed the evidence. In 11, it's called the evidence of the purchase. The evidence of the pur purchase or the proof of the redemption, the proof that he has bought this place and he owns it as his own possession, is placed in, earthen, in an earthen vessel. That's what proves it. That's what proves the fact that that is his redeemed land, that his inheritance is purchased, that that place belongs to him. It's the same. That's what it means that we have a treasure in earthen vessel. It's not just like diamonds and gold and the thing we think about when we think of a treasure. It has to do with the very proof and evidence that there is, has been a purchase and a redemption that has taken place that has been placed in these earthen vessels. How? The presence of Christ himself. He is the proof of purchase. He is the evidence of the redemption that God has performed. It is put in earthen vessels. And it said it's put in an earthen vessel so that it can remain there for many days. The word actually means to abide there for an abundant number of days. What does that mean? Forever. It's a picture. Basically, it's a picture of to remain there forever. Plenty of days is another way it's, 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 and, and many of your commentaries would say it was put in those earthen vessels to keep it from corruption, to keep it from being fade out, for, to keep it from being deteriorated in weather and, 
and other things that may happen. It kept it safe and kept it from deteriorating. And when I read that, I thought that's first Peter where he says, we have been brought into an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away. The evidence of the purchase has been sealed within these earthen vessels, and it remains and continues and abides there. Now, as I said, this is the same thing he said in Jeremiah 31. Because he said, I will put my law in their inward parts and I will write it in their hearts. Now, when he says write it, it's the same word as he said, I subscribed the evidence. Means he wrote it in a book to prove that he had purchased his land. And it's the same thing of the writing of the law in our hearts. It's the same word that you. It's a subscribing of the evidence. And I don't want to just get off on a lot of different things, but this is, this is why Hebrews chapter eight uses this very thing, uses these uh, verses, because that's what he's telling them. Christ in you is the proof of purchase. He's the proof that your soul has been bought and is his possession. He is the indwelling proof that you have been brought out of the shadows of the first into the reality of the second. God has written in your hearts the proof of his purchase in your earthen vessel, and it abides there forever, and it will not, de- it will not decay. It will not fade. It is forever real and present. In fact, when Jeremiah says, I have put, or he says, I will put my law in their inward parts. The word there actually means I will perform it. It's not just to put it there like you place it. It means he performs it in the inward parts. That's Romans, right? Romans 8. He is the, the. Uh, the, the, the full, what is it? The righteousness of the law fulfilled in us. That's him performing in the inward parts, the, the, the reality and requirements of the law. Wow. It's the same picture. It's just, he's using these different ways to say it. And I just thought it was a beautiful thing of, of Jeremiah's purchasing and redeeming of the field. He says, I wrote the evidence of the purchase and it wasn't safe and it wasn't secure until I put it in an earthen vessel and that earthen vessel possesses the authentic proof of my redemption. Wow. We try to prove it in so many ways. We try to prove it in what we do and how we act and the words we use and all of the different ways we do it when the actual legal document that gives legal proof of a redemption performed abides in these earthen vessels. And that is why the true treasure is the thing that is residing in the earthen vessel, not the earthen vessel itself. That's why the proof and the evidence 
of the redemption of God is found in the treasure of in the vessel, not the vessel. Because he has placed in us a legally binding divine document called the spirit of his son. And that is the proof in the sight of God and for my soul that it is his purchased possession. And that is what God did all of the things he did. That was his purpose. That was his will. That was his intent. And these earthen vessels have the proof of it dwelling in us. And it abides there forever. So we'll stop there, guys. I just wanted to get that. I, I just love that that picture that, that he puts in Jeremiah there. To me, it just beautifully clarifies what Paul says. You know, the redemption of the purchased possession. And that's why knowing that he'll begin to pray for them. He says, ever since I've heard of this and heard of your faith, I'm praying for you. Why? Because until your eyes are open to see the proof and the evidence of this purchased redemption, you'll never comprehend how great it is and how great this salvation is. You'll be looking for all kinds of evidences and all kind of proofs when the proof and the evidence of it is in you now. Wow. Right. Amen. So That's so good. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yeah. We'll stop there. Yeah. Amen. Well, I love the whole, I love the whole tabernacle. I thing that it's a picture of the heaven. Yeah. That it, it's, is it like a kind of a shadow of heaven? It's a testimony. Yeah, it's a, a testimony. testimony. Okay. And that's why it was actually, um, well, the, the things of the, of the, that were in the Holy of Holies, his throne and all were the first things made, but the last things placed. So it shows you first and last, even in that picture, he was the, he was always, it was always present. It was an eternal thing, but it was the last thing put in because it was the last thing just to be approached and, 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 and found, but it was the first piece that was, that was made. And it shows that, you know, that which is in the heavens is where all of this proceeds out from. And yeah, it is. That's what it is. Uh, I mean, when Hebrews talks about it, that's what he calls it. He said, he has not entered into the holy of holies made with hands, but into heaven itself, which was the testimony of it. Yeah. That is so awesome because what it does is it takes away any perception that we may think of heaven to be yeah. and focuses it completely on Christ. So we can't put heaven in a picture form that we've always been been so wrongfully yeah. taught. Yeah. And now we can know that because it's not about heaven. It never was about heaven. It's all about Christ. It's not about heaven as a place. It's about heaven right. as a state of right. being. 
of being. I think that is just so awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I always say, you know, people want to go to heaven and they're always talking about who they're going to see and all of that. And that's all good. And that may, Hey, I don't have all the answers. I know we will see. Okay. But the, the, the whole idea that the authors of the scripture is trying to show us of heaven is not all the people there, but there's one there. Yes. Just like the Holy of Holies. There's one that stands in heaven. Amen. The people. And to me, that's where it all becomes Christ centric. And that's where it's supposed to be. Um, I mean, I've got, there's some weird stuff out there, guys. I mean, I hope you don't hear there's some weird things out there. I mean, God's got bubble gum land and everything in heaven. Come on. I mean, oh, I'm, got, I'm telling you. It's got, it does have golf courses, you know. Yeah, there's golf courses. There's amusement <laughs> parks. Whatever your, so here's the thing. Whatever your poor carnal soul thinks is there, is there. Because God's just going to give whatever you want. And I'm thinking he gave you his son. That's heaven. Right. You know, and that's the what whole picture. What more can there be? And uh, right. so, yeah, it, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. What what hit me so strongly was, you know, how we we talk about there are so many um, believers or whatever church people who are looking for the proof of everything in an outward way. Yeah. And it just speaks to that and says, no, it's all inward. And it just it just keeps fitting. We are spiritual people. Everything for us is spiritual. Yep. And there's the, even the proof of everything is spiritually within us. Yeah. And that's why it has to be revealed by God. And yes. it cannot be known by a natural mind. Yes. yes. Amen and to that. So I can't, yes. I cannot look at any natural person who is a believer and see the proof of salvation and see the evidence of redemption. I have to see that in the face of Christ who abides in me. Amen. And if that believer, whether I see whatever I see in that earthen vessel, you know what I know? That they have the same proof of redemption and salvation that I have. Mm -hmm. And I got to stop bringing it down to a natural level and trying to find it and, and, find the measure of it and the meaning of it and the reality of it there because it is, and we better be grateful for that, that it is a work that mm-hmm. God has done in us and it is not a work we've done. And it, 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 we, we had no part in it. Yay. You know? Yeah. This is God's mercy that has been brought to us. So, I mean, there's a lot of things he could have done with the, with the evidence of the purchase of that land, but the testimony was very clear. Put it in an earthen vessel. That's you know, beautiful. Because oh. that's, that's where I wanted to stay forever. That's where I wanted to remain. And he asked God, he says, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? And God says, because in the days to come, you will have land and houses and vineyards. The destruction is here now, but this 
has secured and guaranteed this redemption that is now abiding in earthen vessels has secured for you that this will be so that the lands and the houses and the vineyards are yours. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's a beautiful, th- I mean, it's just, it's a perfect picture of this. Um, but to know that what we have in Christ and what Christ is in us is the fulfillment of that picture. Yes. Is that yes. promise fulfilled? You know, it's just great. It is. Mm-hmm. All right. Happy Mother's Day, guys. Love y'all. Thanks, Ray. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.